I remember one of the very first times that I encountered the issue of bitterness uh, in ministry. Um, Amy and I, early on in the 90s, after, right after we got married, uh, we were working at a church, um, working with middle school kids. And uh, my wife had the opportunity to lead a young lady to the Lord at a summer camp. And after that, we tracked along with her for a couple years. And then when she got into high school, she began to really fall away from the Lord. And one evening, Amy and I were sitting in a restaurant in Virginia. And across the restaurant, I could see this girl. She knew I was in there. She saw me. And she was sitting with a bunch of folks. Some of them were young adults. Some of them were teenagers. And I noticed that she was drinking alcohol. And uh, she saw me, and I saw her, and it was almost like she was kind of sticking it in my face. She, I remember just like, you know, for all you do, this bud's for you. And um, uh, I was working at a church that was connected to a Christian school. She was going to that Christian school, and so I was uh, not only obligated from Scripture, but obligated from where I work to confront her. And so I pulled her out of school the next day, and I talked to her, and she was very belligerent very angry. Um, I told her that I was going to call her parents, which I did, which made her even angrier. I told her I had to talk to the school, which made her, caused a lot of rage inside of her. And, and so I did those things. And obviously her parents were very upset. The school, I believe, suspended her. And for the next few years, she absolutely went into a season of bitterness and anger and rage towards me and Amy that quite honestly got a little bit scary. Uh, she threatened us, did a lot of things. I don't know if you've ever been a public speaker before when you're speaking in front of a crowd and someone's angry at you and they're sneering at you week after week after week, but it's a little weird. And uh, eventually she stopped coming to our group and um, about the time that she was getting ready to graduate from high school, uh, I was in a local restaurant with some friends, uh, Matt Wilmington being one of them, and as I was eating, I looked over and I could see some of the folks that worked in the restaurant kind of gathering together. They're looking over at my table and I'm looking at them. And I realized that in this group was this girl. And so I start looking at my food and thinking, what is in the world is in this food? And uh, I didn't take another bite. Check, please. We got out of there. And I kid you not, as I'm walking out of the restaurant, walking through the lobby, I hear this loud scream, and I look back, and she is coming out of the kitchen with a large fork in her hand, with a bit, not, we're talking a little fork you eat with, but one of those forks with the big picks on it, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to die right here in the lobby of Red Lobster, and she, fortunately, some workers grabbed her, the guys that were with me kind of stood between me and her, and I got out of the restaurant, and, uh, that was really the last that I saw of her. And uh, when we moved here to uh, Georgia in 1997, um, uh, probably a year or so after we lived here, um, I got a letter from her in the mail. She had met a, a young man. She had gotten married. She had gotten her life together. She uh, was pregnant with her first baby. And uh, she basically wrote me a letter apologizing to me for all that she had done, all the anger, all the things that she had said to me, about me, about Amy, of just the whole thing, and asked for my forgiveness and told me how she had gotten her life right with the Lord, and this was just an issue that she couldn't get off of her life until, her heart until she made things right with me. And so, of course, Amy and I wrote her a letter back and just accepted her apology, and from time to time over the last several years, we will see her in Virginia and Lynchburg, and we'll run into her, and it's like nothing ever happened. She'll hug us in a restaurant, and she'll show off her kids to us, and it's like, she's just like a totally, totally different person. Now, I realize that that's an extreme story of bitterness, 
But some of you this morning that are in this room, you can at least relate to the emotion of bitterness. Maybe for some of you, something happened in your life when you were younger, and uh, it just continues to haunt you, continues to come up. It, when you think of a person in your mind, that, that name, as soon as you think about it, there's just feelings of anger or even maybe even feelings of rage that come up. Maybe for some of you, you've been through a, a, a painful divorce and, and you've never gotten over the hurt and bitterness and anger of what took place. Maybe the, someone committed adultery against you and it's just so hard for you to ever let go of the hurt and the pain. Maybe you lost a child or you lost someone that you love and maybe you're angry at God and you have bitterness, bitter feelings towards God. Whatever that looks like, for some reason, maybe deep down inside of you or maybe right at the surface, you're dealing and you're struggling with the issue of bitterness or even resentment or, or anger or, or even unforgiveness. Well, I want you to know that whatever it is that you're dealing with, because of God's wonderful grace, he sent Jesus to provide a rescue for things like bitterness and resentment and anger and unforgiveness. Well, if we're going to be rescued from any of those things, then I think it's important for us to understand a few truths about the issue of bitterness. First of all, pretending that bitterness doesn't exist does not make it go away. We just need to acknowledge it. God certainly understands how destructive bitterness can be in our lives. He knows that when we are filled with resentment or hatred or, or we're even trapped in unforgiveness that we're only hurting ourselves. That's why he wants us to trust him with this emotion. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 he starts out by saying, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, unfortunately, we have a tendency to, not, to deny that we're filled with bitterness, that we're filled with resentment. Instead of actually dealing with a situation and, and maybe even offering forgiveness to a person that's hurt us. We, we don't want to even admit that we're afflicted with such ugly feelings. And so most of the time, to our own detriment, we'll just either allow our, ourselves to stew in that bitterness or we'll deny that we even feel that way or we'll try to justify those feelings as righteous anger. So the first truth that we have to accept is that in order to be free from the damaging emotions of bitterness, we have to agree with God that it actually exists inside of us. The second truth is that bitterness will continue to stain your life if you don't root it out. The longer we hold on to bitterness, the longer we continue to allow it to wound us, and, and it, all it does is just keeps us in personal bondage. One of the worst things that we can do is to underestimate how destructive bitterness can be to our lives. Resentment doesn't just simply go away. We may forget all the details that caused us to feel the way that we do, but our bodies continue to carry the effects of them. Dr. Charles Raisin, who is the associate professor of psychiatry at Emory University uh, School of Medicine there, he says that bitterness is a, is a nasty solvent that erodes every good thing. Karsten Rausch, an associate professor of psychology at Concordia University in Montreal, says, studies show that bitter, angry people have higher blood pressure and higher heart rate and are more likely to die of heart disease and other illnesses. Listen, I want you to know God cares deeply when we allow our emotions to hurt us physically. That is why we're taught in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. 
The root that the the writer of Hebrews speaks of was a a particular kind of root that was used back in the day to make a, a dye or a stain for clothing. If you allow a root of bitterness to spring up in your life, it will not only color your relationships, but it will stain the way that you look at the world. The writer of Hebrews says that bitterness can cause a person to become defiled inside. Now, we might think that, that by suppressing or even internalizing our anger that somehow or another we're maintaining control of a situation. Somehow we're maintaining the upper hand over that person that's hurt us. But the opposite is true. When we hold on to our resentment and our anger, we, we end up doing not only uh, great harm to us, but we do great harm to those around us. And so we need to realize the third truth that we can't root out bitterness in our own strength. Now, I know that many of you, you have tried to let go of your bitterness. You've tried to let go of your anger towards someone else. But it seems as soon as you feel like you've turned the page, something happens that just brings all of those emotions right back to the surface. And you find yourself right back where you started. Listen, if we could be, be victorious in our own strength over things like bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness, then there would have been no reason for Jesus to go to the cross and rise from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, he not only defeated the power of sin in our lives, but he defeated the power of, that sinful emotions have over our lives. As children of God, we, we don't have to be held captive to sinful emotions. God has given us his power by his grace to overcome anything that we struggle with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is, is talking about this thorn in a flesh that was given to him by God. And some, some people over the years, scholars, have questioned what exactly was that? A lot of people believe that it was this inner struggle that Paul felt, that a feeling of guilt of, of how he persecuted so many Christians when he was younger. Some folks think that it was just, uh, that Paul was just uh, conflicted and afflicted by, by just all of the, the people that were constantly criticizing him, the death threats that were made against him. Some people think it was a physical ailment that Paul couldn't shake, or, or others think that it was just that he was constantly being demonically harassed. We don't, we don't know what it was. But Paul says, he says, listen, I prayed three times. I prayed intensely that God would take this thing away, that, that, that he would just cause it to leave. But, but, but God answered this way. Instead of taking it away, he said this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You say, what does that mean? It means that if you're dealing with bitterness or anger and you've tried everything but God to remove it from your life, God says, listen, my grace is enough. It's sufficient for you today. In your weakness, in your weakness, my power is made strong. My power is made perfect. And so if you're willing to admit your weakness, your sin, God can give you victory over it. He can give you victory over it through the power of Christ's death on the cross. His power can overcome any weakness that you may have. Now, I can't promise you that your situation will change. That person that hurts you may may never want to reconcile with you. They may may never want to hear you out. But I can promise you that your willingness to depend on God's power and his strength, it will change you. It will strengthen you. And according to what the Bible says, God may just want to use this situation in your life as, as a platform for perfecting and demonstrating his power in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 goes on to say, Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. He says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
So we, we need to understand the truth of bitterness. We need to understand how resentment can not only destroy our lives from the inside out, but how it can affect other people. But we also need to understand how bitterness impacts us spiritually. There are very few things in life that are more destructive to our personal lives, our conversations, our conducts, our character, than things like bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. There, there's, there's nothing more difficult to hide. I've talked about how bitterness can impact our health, how it can impact our relationships. But we also need to realize that bitterness has a tremendous impact on our relationship with God. Now, just so that we're clear, and I've talked about this over the last several weeks, judicially speaking, from the the vertical sense, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, everything is good between us and God. Jesus Christ has made everything good between us and God vertically. We are, st- we are his sons and his daughters. We are children bought with a price. Because of Jesus, we are righteous and we are holy in God's sight. However, our behavior and our choices can have an impact on our day-to-day intimacy with God. You may be feeling the impact of that right now. Maybe somehow or another bitterness or anger or resentment or unforgiveness towards someone else has, has, or, or even uh, maybe your unforgiveness towards God has consumed your life and you're struggling at this very moment to connect with God. I want to take a look for a moment at how this plays out. First of all, bitterness obstructs our personal worship. Charles Stanley says there are three distinct aspects of worship. Worship is expressing an overflowing sense of of awe and adoration to the Lord. Worship is when we pour out our hearts to Him in joy and thanksgiving and, and we express how grateful we are to Him. It's when we completely focus on him, not our own needs or hurts or offenses, just on his awesome, unfailing, perfect character. Dr. Stanley says that when we're bitter, we can't do any of that. Why? Because how can we truly adore and praise the God who let a terrible thing happen to us? In our hearts, we always doubt some of his motives. If, if he knows everything, then how in the world could he have ever allowed that kind of pain to come into our lives? How can we worship him when we're not truly focused on him? Rather, we are occupied with ourselves and the pain that we feel. Listen to what we're commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We are commanded to honor God by forgiving others. Either we honor him, we can honor him and obey him as a sovereign, almighty God, and we can forgive those that have hurt us, or we can hold on to what we feel might be this right that we have to to be offended, and we can actually make bitterness become an idol in our lives. We hold on to it so tightly that it actually becomes an idol to us. The second thing we need to realize is that bitterness can cause us to be trapped in slavery. There's a story in chapter 8 about Uh, Acts chapter 8, about a guy by the name of Simon the Magician. One day the apostle uh, Philip shows up to Samaria and he starts preaching the gospel and the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that unclean spirits start leaving people, people who are paralyzed and and are struggling with with illnesses become healed. Scores of people become believers in, in Jesus Christ. And one of these guys, one of these folks who comes to Christ is a guy by the name of Simon the Magician. Now, later on, Peter and John show up, and and when they show up, they begin laying hands on people, and believers begin to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Simon looks at this, and he is so amazed by what he is seeing that he, he asks Peter if he can buy the power that he and John possess. How can I get my hands on this? How can I buy this power that you have? He, he wants them to sell the Holy Spirit to, to him. 
Now, that's what sorcerers would do back then. When they would identify that someone else had magic or someone else seemed to have some power, they would buy and sell their secrets to to others. But Peter rebukes him, and he points out his sinfulness. In Acts chapter 8, verse 32, he says, For I see that you are full of bitterness, and you are captive to sin. Now, in the the original language here, it says that Simon was poisoned by bitterness, and he was in the bondage of his own iniquity. His bitterness and his jealousy caused him to become a slave to sin. And as soon as Peter points this out to him, Simon has a change of heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, Christ made us, made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. In other words, as God's children, we're no longer slaves to sin. However, when we choose to hold on to bitterness, when we choose to hold on to resentment, when we allow anger to, to just rest itself in our lives, or we hold on to unforgiveness and things like jealousy, we don't lose our salvation, but we choose to walk back into the bondage of sin that Christ freed us from. Bitterness can cause us to become a slave. I know that we think, listen, if, if I can just stay mad at someone, then I'll stay in control of a situation. If I can just hold on to this bitterness, then, then somehow or another I'm making a point to them. I'm, I'm, I'm paying them back. But that's not the case at all. You're just putting, your sh- you're just putting shackles on yourself. Anytime that we walk in sin and we stay there, we, we, don't, we don't just hinder our intimacy with Christ. We walk back into slavery. We're not in control at all because bitterness and resentment, all of a sudden, they become our masters. And, and Lamont says not forgiving is like drinking rat, porting, rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Author Lewis Mead says that, that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was actually you. So bitterness not only obstructs our worship, and not only does it, does it cause us to, to walk back into slavery, but bitterness also destroys peace in a church. Over the years, I've watched bitterness destroy churches. I've watched bitterness destroy, destroy small groups. I've watched bitterness destroy great ministry endeavors. A, a church or a group of people, they, they can't stay focused on reaching outward or, or even filling the great commi- commission when they're focused on just resolving conflict and dealing with bitterness. One of the, one of the biggest surprises I've had in ministry over the years is how much time I spend dealing with ministry, with conflict resol- uh, management. And I'll tell you, it just, it just wears you out. And you look at it and you go, it always involves a misunderstanding. It always starts with some kind of communication problem. And it almost always involves pride and bitterness. And it always derails people's focus off of ministry and always destroys peace between believers. In Psalm chapter 133 and verse 1, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. But on the other hand, when bitterness takes root, the peace in the body of Christ always suffers. The other thing we need to realize is that bitterness damages our witness for Christ. Can you imagine how terrible it would be if God stopped us at a particular sin in our lives and said, You know what? Sorry, this one right here that you've committed, this one is unforgivable. There's absolutely no forgiveness for this sin. I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to hold this sin over your head for the rest of your life. Now, thankfully, God doesn't operate that way with our lives. Outside of the sin of rejecting Jesus, which is what the Bible calls the unpardonable sin, once we come to Christ as our Savior, there is not a sin that He cannot forgive. At the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus forgave every sin, past, present, and future. 
And once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, every single sin is pardoned without exception. However, when we choose to refuse to forgive others of what they have done, we choose which sins are pardonable and which ones are not. Instead of releasing people like Jesus did for us, we choose to hold people captive with our hurt and our resentment and our bitterness. Charles, Charles Stanley defines bitterness this way. He says, bitterness is refusing to give others what God freely gave to us. Bitterness is refusing to give others what God has freely given to us. You see, when we refuse to free others, not only does it hurt our intimacy with Christ, but it shuts down our ability to testify of his grace to other people. I believe that, that we shut off the ability of the Holy Spirit to, perfru- to, to produce the, the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. All of a sudden, these things like love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, I mean, we, we shut these things off. We shut off the Holy Spirit's ability to produce that fruit inside of our lives. Listen, I want you to understand how serious of an issue this is. As your pastor, I, listen, I, 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 there's so many folks that I've dealt with over the years that are holding on to bitterness. I mean, it's rooted down deep inside of you. Asaph, the author of, of Psalm chapter 73, he says that he realized that his heart was bitter and he was, he was all torn up inside. He describes himself as foolish and ignorant. He says he was like an, a senseless animal. When we allow bitterness to take root in our lives, listen, it will slowly take over your life and it will drive you. It will drive your thoughts, it will drive your emotions, and eventually it will drive your actions. And there is no way that a person that is consumed by bitterness and anger can actually be a witness for Christ. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I know some of you are thinking, but wait a minute, Brian, I do love people. I love all kinds of people. I love everybody except for this one person. There's this one person, and I want you to know I hate them. I hate them with everything I have, but I love everyone else. I love everyone. And you know, I want you to know something, Brian. I think God understands how my feelings. God understands. Matter of fact, I think he's okay with the fact that I hate this person so much because he saw what they did to me. Listen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Bitterness can damage our witness for Christ with others, but it can also put into question our love, with, love for God. So the question is this. How can we be rescued from bitterness? How can we once and for all Put bitterness behind us. How can we get it covered? How can we just be freed up from this? First of all, here's what we have to do. We have to ask God to reveal any bitterness that may be inside of us. Now, in just a moment, we're going to spend some time in prayer. And I want you to think about some things. I want you to think about, listen, when a person's name or when their face comes to your mind, I want you to think about, do you feel a sense of anger come over you? Do you just, maybe just in the day-to-day, do you struggle with, with being cynical or, or being overly critical of people? Do you lash out unexpectedly? If any of that's true in your life, there's a, that's a good indication that bitterness has taken root in your, in your life. Some of you in this room right now, you are driven by your woundedness. It has stained the way that you look at the world. It has discolored some of your relationships. Listen, this is a moment where we need to listen to the Lord 
And we need to acknowledge that bitterness and resentment does exist inside of us. Even though it may be from an event that happened years and years and years ago. I mean, you were young when it happened to you. But you know what? You just realize even at this moment that it's still there. Maybe it's something that in your own strength you have tried and tried and tried to bury. But you realize it's just still there. It just still lingers inside of you. And once you acknowledge it, then you confess it to the Lord and you receive his forgiveness. Listen, as God reveals areas of bitterness in your life, you need to agree with him that you have sin and that you're dealing with unforgiveness. You need to agree with him that your sin is holding you hostage. You've become a slave to bitterness. Now, I know for some of you, listen, it's going to be painful. It's going to be a painful moment. For some of you, you're going to wrestle with this. You're going to try to hang on to your bitterness. It's almost to become a part of your existence, a part of your life. But you need to understand this morning that God wants to set you free from this. He wants you to walk in victory over this. Maybe, you're, maybe you are a victim in this whole thing. And it seems unfair to you this morning that God would be asking you to confess your sins. It doesn't even make sense to you. Why are you the one that has to confess? Listen, this moment is not about you and the person that hurts you. It's about you and God. That's it. King David said it this way in Psalm chapter 51, verse 4. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, you delight in truth in in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. When we come to God in repentance, listen, he is totally aware of everything that is going on in your life. he, He has seen everything that happens has happened to you. He understands the wrestling. He understands the pain. He understands the hurt. He understands the depths of your emotions. Therefore, listen, we can trust him. We can trust him with our whole heart. We can trust that he knows how to free us. Listen, he wants to forgive you right now. He wants to forgive you at this very moment. He wants to do a fresh work in your heart. He doesn't want you to walk around in slavery. It's the very thing that Jesus came to set you free from. And so once you've acknowledged it, then you confess it and you receive his forgiveness. But then the next part's really tough. You need to ask God to help you to extend forgiveness to whoever hurts you. Over the last several years, I've been digging up my family's history on Ancestry.com. Any any of you been involved in anything like that? You've kind of gotten in, you're going back and looking up your family history. I realized a few years back that I'm actually related to Robert the Bruce, who is related to the Queen of England. You had no idea that your pastor was royalty, did you? All right? I expect different treatment next Sunday when I come up here. Good luck with that. Yep. I know how y'all roll. I've been pastor of this church for a long time, so. But you know, it's been, it's, as I've gone through, especially over the last couple of years, just kind of digging up history, it's been very enlightening, but it's also been very personal. I discovered a little while back that I have a, I had a great-grandfather, my dad's dad. I actually had a grandfather who I knew personally, obviously, my, my dad's dad, who was, was a very angry man. Matter of fact, he could be just downright mean. And uh, I remember a lot of this, especially during the latter years of his life. And, and I loved him dearly, and, and there was never a question whether or not he loved me. He didn't express it, but I always felt in, in some way that he loved me. But, but, but I never knew when he was going to lash out at me. I never knew when he might lash out at someone else in our family, just, just at some odd moment. And I remember growing up thinking, why is this guy so angry all the time? Why is he so volatile? And even to this day when his name is brought up, I, I still sense some pain 
well up in some of my family members. When we talk about my grandfather, I can still, I can sense some pain that still exists within some of them. A few months ago, I, I discovered that when my, when my grandfather's dad, Frederick, it was my great-grandfather, when he was eight years old, he was placed in the Wilmington, Delaware home for friendless and destitute children. And later on in life, he developed tuberculosis and he was placed in a sanitarium in Canada. A sanitarium, for you those who don't know, is a hospital where, where people with contagious diseases, where they're quarantined. And it appeared, just from records that I, that I ran into and saw, just, that appeared that he, he had been there for several years until he died of heart failure in 1932. He was 59 years old when he died. My grandfather was 21 years old when his father died. But somewhere before my great-grandfather died, my grandfather and his brothers were placed in an orphanage in London, Ontario. Matter of fact, I, I have a letter that says that my grandfather was placed in an orphanage at the age of three weeks old. He was discharged and admitted several times until he was like eight or nine years old. It shows the last time, 1919. And at some point, just going back and looking at other records, it appears that, that my great-grandparents had marital issues, and somewhere in the midst of all of that, they divorced. And I remember a few months back when I, when I started piecing all of this together, I sat at my computer, and tears began to run down my face. And just all of a sudden, I, I started understanding my grandfather a whole lot better. It helped me to understand what he was going through. And, and I never heard him say this, but I know that all of this, all of the stuff that he knew, all of the stuff that he experienced, it, it, it had to have left deep wounds and scars on his life. It, had, it helped me to look at him in a completely different way. It helped me to look at him through eyes of grace. You know what? Whoever has hurt in their lives has a story. Whoever has hurt someone else has a story. doesn't excuse their behavior. It doesn't excuse their action. It doesn't make the past right. It doesn't change what happened. But asking God to help you see this person that hurt you through eyes might actually help you to forgive them. It might help you to, to know how to extend grace to them. And I realize, you know, maybe they don't even, maybe they don't deserve it. But listen, what I've realized is that there is not a person in this room, including myself, that deserves grace. There's not one of us that deserves God's grace. Right now, here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to ask God to give, you, to give you complete understanding so that you can completely understand. I believe God wants to liberate you. He wants to heal you completely from your bitterness and your anger. Some of you have, have, have been through the pain of a divorce. And I don't care how it happened. I mean, it, it, you're struggling with it. And for whatever reason, you can't move forward from it. You can't seem to let go of the wounds or the pains. And, and one of the best ways, I want you to know, to, to move on from a situation like that is to surround yourself with other people who have been through that, who've been on the other side of that, who've, who've, who've achieved some victory over that, or even folks who are in that same season that you're in. We have a, a great singles opportunity in this church, a great group of singles who have come together. As a matter of fact, they have a, Another gathering coming up on February 21st, and, and Rodney Hunt made me aware of this, and, and just said it'd be a great opportunity for our singles in this church, whether you've been through a divorce or not, to come together. Because singleness can be a very lonely time of life. But regardless of what your situation may be, I want, I want to encourage you this morning to ask God to give you the strength to forgive. And then continue to forgive until your feelings change. How do you know when you've truly forgiven someone? You simply won't see them in the same way. The harsh, hurtful feelings that you had will be replaced with a new love and a new understanding. It means that your thoughts about them will change when you think about them. When you see them, 
or you think about them, you won't have feelings of anger. That, that pain that you've been feeling it won't well up inside of you any longer. What if, I, what if I've just forgiven? What, I, what if I just, I, I've forgiven this person before, but Brian, it's like feelings of bitterness, it, they just keep coming up over me. I, it's like I can't shake these things. They keep returning. Here's what you do. You keep going back to the well of forgiveness. You just keep going back to that same well. Listen, it's the same well that God uses to continue to offer you forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us that we as God's children, that we can approach the throne of grace with complete confidence and receive mercy and grace in our time of need. When we need mercy, when we need grace, we're able to find it. Here's why, because we have a high priest named Jesus who understands our weaknesses. The Bible tells us he's he's actually able to sympathize with everything that we've ever gone through. He has faced everything that we will ever face, and yet he did all of it without sin. And yet here's what I've realized in this life. Even on my best day, I'm not strong enough to overcome my sin. I'm not strong enough to overcome bitterness. Some of you may be going, have you ever been bitter? Absolutely. I've had bitterness towards people who have said things about me, people who have made accusations about me, people have misunderstood me. I'm not good enough to overcome that stuff. I'm not good enough to overcome anger or resentment or guilt or fear or, or self or even my own sinfulness. But God in his grace sent a rescuer. He sent a rescuer who would not only understand me and be able to sympathize with everything that I've ever gone through, but he sent a rescuer who was willing to pay for my sinfulness by shedding his blood as an offering. A rescuer who, would, who once he paid for, uh, with his life for my sins, would not stay dead in the, gra- in the ground, but would, would, conquer, would conquer sin, and he would conquer the grave by rising up from it. Why? So that you and I could be freed from the penalty of sin. So that you and I could walk free from, from sin's power over us. So you and I could, could live this life victoriously. And so you and I could have a hope for the future. And listen, I realize, I realize that some of you, as we're talking about this, you just feel weak right now. You have tried to overcome this before. You've tried to move you know, on from this situation before. And, that, and yet here you are again. You find yourself in the same place dealing with the same hurtful, painful emotions. I want to tell you this. Look at me. You're in a good place. You're in a good place. Because God says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My power is made perfect in your weakness. When you bring your weakness to me, you're going to see that my power is made strong inside of you. When you are weak, God says, I'm what? I'm strong. So here's what you do. You acknowledge it. You confess it. You let God's forgiveness overwhelm you and you receive it. You extend forgiveness to the person that has hurt you, even though it may be very difficult. You just extend it to them and you just keep continuing to forgive until your feelings change. God says, listen, when you bring your weaknesses to me, when you bring your sinfulness to me, I want you to know that my power is made strong in your weakness. So give it to me this morning. I want you to bow your heads right now. Lord, I know as I've been talking over the last few minutes that in this room, there are a lot of folks who have acknowledged 
that bitterness is something that they've dealt with for a long time, or maybe it's something that has just sprung up inside of them. There might be a name or a face that, that is in front of us. Someone that, that we just can't let go of. Maybe it's something that happened to us when we were very young, and, and Lord, it's deep, deep down buried inside of us. And we've tried to root it out in our own strength, but it just keeps, it keeps haunting us. Father, may we this morning acknowledge that. Acknowledge that bitterness does exist inside of us. That resentment is there, anger is there. Lord, it's caused us not only, Father, to to have our relationships colored by it, but Lord, it's stained our outlook on the world. It's caused, Lord, it it impacts how we relate to people on a day-by-day, people that aren't even part of the equation. Let me just take a moment and just confess that to the Lord. Acknowledge it to him. And just let, his over, just let his forgiveness overwhelm me right now. I know some of you are wrestling with that. You're struggling with that because it's like, listen, I'm not the one that's guilty here. This is between you and God right now, not the person that hurt you. Don't let bitterness, don't let resentment cause you to be a slave. Cause you to be a slave to the very sin that Jesus gave his life for. And then in your heart, extend grace and extend forgiveness to the person that hurt you. I know that may be difficult. Free them up, even if they're no longer here, no longer on this earth. Free yourself from them. Free yourself from the pain. You see, I can't do it. I just keep doing it over and over and over and over. Keep going back to that well. If you're here this morning, maybe you have never received God's forgiveness yourself. Maybe you've never been freed from the the separation that exists between you and God. Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood so that you might be forgiven once and for all. You may need to, at this very moment, receive his forgiveness. So how do I do that? I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, just say, Lord Jesus, at this moment, I receive your forgiveness. I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner. I, I, Lord, I, res- I repent of my sins. I change my mind about my sinfulness and how it has created a separation between me and you. And I acknowledge, Lord, that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but he is the Savior who came to pay for my sins. And so, Lord, at this moment, I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you. Lord, all of my hope is in you right now forgive me of my sins. I receive your gift by grace, Lord, by faith. I receive salvation. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I just want to ask you to just let us know this morning and check your get connected card. There's a place that says this morning I prayed to receive Christ. Let us know. We'd love to help you to take the next step on your journey. You can take that out to the help center at the end of the service. For the rest of it, I want us, I want us to stand up. If this is a moment where you want to just come forward and get on your knees at the steps, you can do that. We'll have life care ministers on both sides who are equipped to help you out. Maybe this is something that's so deep down inside of you, you just need to talk to someone. You need to express this to someone. You need to communicate to someone. You need some, some, maybe some more wisdom. So if that's you, I want to just encourage you to come right now and just pray. I've asked Stevie sing a song that I've been singing over the last few weeks in my mind as I've been thinking about this rescue mission. All my hope is in you. 
All my faith is in you. With every breath, my soul, my soul depends on you. It longs in you. That's a rescue song. Stevie, I want you to lead us right now as we sing. And if you feel the need to come forward and pray, I want you to come right now.